and welcome to the Dairy Dialogue podcast, and we've reached the ripe old number of 60. Hopefully we don't look 60. Careful how you answer that one. I'm Jim Cornall, editor of Dairy Reporter, and my only regret about this week's show is that I had to edit it. So much good material, but really long, so it did need a little bit of editing. We have three guests for you this week on a variety of subjects. We chat with John Serpiello, Vice President of Business Development, and Dan Rosa, Vice President Sales MHAS Equipment at Canon Equipment, about what the company says is a revolutionary new washer for cleaning crates in the dairy industry. We also talk to Maria Sanchez Minor, the International Dairy Federation Science and Standards Program Manager, about the 8th IDF International Symposium on Sheep, Goat, and Other Non Cow Milk, which takes place May the 4th and 5th, 2020, in Brussels, Belgium. So that would be milk from buffaloes, horses, donkeys, sheep, goats, camels, and I'm probably missing a few as well. Oh, yes, yak and reindeer. There's probably some more, and I'm sure I'll get some emails about the ones I've missed. And we talk about an extremely interesting, environmentally friendly ice cream van that runs on solar power, so it doesn't have to use its engine at events. It will be on show at the Ice Cream and Artisan Food Show from February the 11th to the 13th, 2020 in Harrogate in the UK. The Styles Solar Van was invented by David Baker, the owner of Styles Farmhouse Ice Cream in the UK, and a fascinating story it is too. And of course, we also have our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton from INTL FC Stone. And so to the week. It's cold here, and I do really feel for all those people who are suffering from some of the adverse weather conditions that are taking place right now. I hope it's good wherever you are. Other than that, I've got nothing interesting other than breaking down vehicles, which everybody suffers, and of course it's always close to Christmas time. Next week, I was reminded by a listener, is the strange December days calendar. I'd forgotten again, so you can thank or blame one of our US listeners for pointing it out. I won't say who it was, because the amount of hate mail that they receive may run into double digits. It's Black Friday today, which used to be only in the US, but is now pretty much everywhere, although in some places the deals aren't exactly ones you'd wait outside a store for, or even inside. Hopefully, if you're bargain hunting, you got something both useful and cheap. I can't say I found anything online, so for me, Black Friday will be when I burn dinner later today. I was invited to attend two events this week, and both of the events are next year, so next year's calendar is already more than filling up to the point where I'm going to have to be a little bit picky. I could spend the entire year on the road, but my family wouldn't be impressed. Having said that, maybe they would be impressed. Maybe they'd be shoving me out the door. But it's great to know there are so many interesting and diverse events out there and around the world, and also so many great stories to tell. With that, we'll have our weekly recap of what's been in the news, or at least some of it. Meng Yu has bought Lion Dairy and Drinks. GEA is improving shelf life with its new DTEC double chamber valve. Pantherix, the US-based colostrum company, has signed a deal with Vietnamese company Vita Dairy. De Laval has launched a new milking system, and we had a very interesting article on a new report from Linterform in Italy. 
looking at what may happen if Russia starts to accept dairy products from the EU again in 2020. We had our usual monthly look at some of the new products in the dairy aisles in November. Of course, there are many more than we can possibly include, but we're always looking for products for that feature, so if you have any or know of any, please let us know. Friesland Campina Wamco has signed a Memorandum of Understanding with another Nigerian state. Arla in Sweden is closing its Jevla Orton's Dairy, and Arla Finland has created an AI app for animal welfare. Speaking of technology, my favorite story of the week was one from Russia's Ministry of Agriculture on a farm in Moscow that has developed VR goggles, or VR glasses if you want to call them that, for cows to make them happier. And no, this isn't our April the 1st podcast. You can see the cows wearing VR glasses on our website, dairyreporter.com. And in case you wanted to know, what they are watching is a program showing a summer meadow. Not sure if that would make them happy or annoyed when they realize that they can't eat what they're seeing. Anyway, it's a fun story. Right, let's get on with the show. It's always good to have different aspects of the dairy sector featured on the show. And so when I received an email a couple of weeks ago from Canon Equipment talking about a new and revolutionary crate cleaning system for the dairy industry, I was intrigued. The equipment in question is called the Infinity Side Hill Washer. And to tell us more about it are John Serpiello, Vice President of Business Development, and Dan Rosa, Vice President of Sales MHAS Equipment. Canon Equipment, we're based in Cannon Falls, Minnesota. We manufacture uh, first from the fluid dairy industry. We manufacture equipment for that, uh, you know, for the industry, as well as uh, closed loop solutions, which are material handling solutions uh, where it's in a closed loop environment, where it leaves a, a center DC and goes out into uh, decentralized units and then back to the, to the DC. Um, so we're talking about uh, today with um, with the side hills, uh, the material handling side, the um, machinery side, which is the again based in the uh, in the dairy industry. Been in business for 50 plus years. Okay. Yeah, and I might add that uh, our our key focus on the machinery in the machinery division is the uh, post filling. So we don't handle empty packages. We handle uh, full package products, you know, beverage or or dairy, uh, you know, things like water, juice. And fluid milk, um, and we we take it after the filler, and then we we package it either into uh, boxes, cases, sometimes on the carts, sometimes on the trays and pallets, and then we uh, we bring it and deliver it all the way to the cooler storage area where it's prepped for loadout. Could you explain what an Infinity Side Hill Washer is? So an, an Infinity Side Hill Washer is a uh, case washer. So what it does, is it takes the, the uh, plastic dairy case that uh, majority of the milk is uh, delivered to the retailers in. And when that case returns, it, it's usually dirty to some degree, whether it uh, just has dust on it or maybe there was a leaker and it got a little extra milk on it or some juice um, that's sticking to it. Or it has uh, a lot of times, the unfortunately, the case gets used as a trash bin as well in the back of the retail store before it gets brought back to the uh, to the dairy for uh, reuse. So the Infinity Side Hill Washer is, is the washing device that uh, cleans that dairy case and preps it uh, for production. Okay, and, and so why was this new one developed? So the, uh, the, the new machine was developed based on customer feedback, you know, voice of customer, if you would like to call it that. Um, over the years, we, we continually have heard that uh, 
washers are, are something that are very difficult to maintain. It's a really poor operational experience. The washers tend to uh, be out of sight, kind of out of mind. They usually uh, have really, if you want to call it poor health, they, they have uh, you know, clogged nozzles, they have clogged filters, maybe a pump is burnt out, and, and the technology usually didn't monitor those things. The, the new side hill washer monitors those things. We monitor the pressure of the water. We have anti-clog filters. We have uh, a filtration system, very unique filtration system that we'll talk more about. We've removed all the uh, obstacles of the, of the debris to get to the tank. So we, we eliminated uh, spray bars in the tank. We've made the tank smaller where it virtually cleans itself. So the washer will, will not only, you know, continually be in a, in a good operational state, it also does extra things to reduce the operational um, uh, labor cost to, to maintain the washer. Could you explain the terminology? It's the parabolic screen technology? Yes. Yeah, so the parabolic screen is what they call wedge wire. It's a, it's a wire that's wider on the top where the water first hits the top of the screen. And as the water flows through the screen, the, the, the wire is like a V-shaped. So the back side of the wire is larger than the front side. So it's virtually anti-clogging. So if, if, the, if the debris can fall through, it falls through into a wider space, which eliminates the, the potential for clogging. So the, the, the screen is a static screen. It's not a bag filter. It's not something you remove and clean. It, it's, it's more of a waterfall. It's got a slight curvature to it. And as the debris and water come over the top, of the filter and drop down over the screen, the water just flushes through the screen and all the heavy solids or debris sit on top of the screen. And if you can picture a waterfall, it keeps pushing the debris down. So as the, as the water's coming over at say 100 gallons a minute, it keeps pushing the debris down and the debris ends up in basically a trough. Um, so you don't have a bag to, to deal with. You don't have a, a tray screen type system or maybe a drawer screen to pull out and clean and bang off. It virtually cleans itself why it's in operation. So the, the, the smallest of particles only make it through the wedge wire screen. So that and ours is set at 20 thousandths. So what we have is a much cleaner tank of water that we're recycling and recleaning your cases with. Uh, that water is, is filtered, it's it's heated, it's got detergent in it. So the less debris you have floating around in there, uh, contaminating the water further or breaking down. So Let's say you have a lot of labels, you know, a lot of people stick labels on the trays to identify the product that's in them or maybe a, a, a code date. And those labels will start to break down. The, the, the glues on the labels will break down and just sit in your water and become a pulp. So now you're spraying your, your you know, you're trying to clean a case with, with really dirty water sometimes. And this will, uh, this will eliminate or not eliminate, but will greatly reduce the amount of uh, sediment that's in your wash water and your rinse water. Now, the press release that came out on this talked about how revolutionary this new system is. Could you tell me what advances this is on what's been before? Sure. So before all the, you know, the washers out there, you know, the majority of the, what they call jet spray washers uh, are just a tunnel washer that uses, you know, basically time, dwell time, um, you know, a, a heated water and detergent. Well, as you can imagine, you know, every dairy is a little different and some have lots of room where you can have a big, long tank and some have, um, you know, a, a small area where you can only have a small spray tunnel. So 
what we've tried to do where you're limited in space is is try to create something that that's spraying a much cleaner water so i think you know we talked about how we accomplish that with the side hill screens but the revolutionary side of this is the the screen system itself is truly not used in this dairy industry today in the fluid industry today with the plastic crates that we have found um so we believe it's the first of its kind so that's really the revolutionary uh, key component is the filtration system coupled with our our spray tunnel and what's really unique about our spray tunnel is that all the nozzles and tubing for the for the water is external of the tunnel itself so the tunnel is much smaller it's more of an octagon shape so that we don't have a lot of flat surfaces it has a, a fully open bottom so all the debris and sediment and and anything else that comes out of that dairy case when it goes through the wash because the cases are upside down will fall through the bottom of that spray tunnel into the side hill filtration system. So now when the case goes through, there's a there's much less chance of the debris getting hung up inside the washer on a bracket or a pipe. You only have the only thing you have in there is the is the slide rails for the case to got to guide the case through it. So now if you need to, you know, check your nozzles or inspect them or or replace them, it's all on the outside of the tunnel and it's done through um, opening a triclover clamp. And that clamp is 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 mounted to a port that sticks into the washer so the nozzles on the outside you open a triclover clamp and you can inspect your nozzles to see if they're clogged or maybe damaged i don't know how they get damaged but um, then you can put it back in so your your ability to make sure that you're always spraying water at the pressure you want to spray at with the consistency you want to spray at is always there uh, because you don't have a system that can clog you don't have a system that uh, could have uh, uh, debris in the line or debris in the tank. And for companies using this kind of technology, is it easy for them to install? Um, I think if, if you have any type of case washing today, this system is very flexible in, in going into the same exact position. So a lot of uh, dairies today, uh, when they put in a case washer, is because the case washer is usually out of sight, out of mind, they're trying to put it down in an area where they can maintain it. What that means is they try to put it on the floor. A lot of your empty case lines that are moving cases through the dairy are elevated up overhead, anywhere from you know eight feet to twenty feet. Uh, with this system, you can have the spray tunnel up overhead, but the filtration, the uh, where, where where the majority of uh, of the work is, if you're going to clean the washer or inspect it, it still sits on the floor level. The spray tunnel can be remotely mounted, and then we use large pipes, 10, 12 inch diameter pipes. To come from the spray tunnel down to uh, the filtration system um, so now you've got the flexibility and the reduced there's also a reduced cost when you got to bring cases down from up overhead a lot of times you have chutes you have uh, these case wheel drives there's these indexing drives that push the case through the washer and then the, they have to drive them back up to the elevation of the empty case overhead so you've got a lot more handling of the case that has to happen when you bring the washer down to a floor level uh, we eliminate the need for those extra extra devices in the line, and, and we make the line, uh, I guess, a simpler uh, layout or design. The other advantage of the of the filtration system, the way it's set up, is just when you look at the overall time to clean this washer versus a standard washer. Um, if you're spending an hour to an hour and a half today just to do a, a maybe a daily cleaning, a simple a simple cleaning of you know getting rid of the heavy solids, cleaning your filters. Uh, maybe draining, refreshing the water. Uh, we can clean this washer 
in that type of setting in probably 10 minutes. And then it's just the amount of time to uh, refill, reheat, which is another 30 minutes. Uh, but that can be all done automatically. You don't have to have an operator there to do that. The weekends where customers will go in on a Sunday, which a lot of times is their only down day of the week out of seven days, um, they'll do what they call a thorough cleaning where they really go in and they scrub the insides of the spray tunnel, they scrub the insides of the tank, they, they you know, inspect all the nozzles, they, they clean the, um, the, the, the filters out and maybe put fresh filters in, maybe even have to clean the filters, the backup filters, they got to clean those. So that could take anywhere from three to six hours. Uh, we feel that you should be able to, to clean our washer thoroughly to that same level in 40 minutes. So there's a, a, a great reduction in time to maintain this washer. We have other features that, uh, that also enhance the, the washer. We have some spiral features which spin the case after they come out of the washer and that will return a lot of that residual water that's sitting on a dairy case or on the webbing of a case. So a lot of times the, the case will come out and be holding a lot of water sitting on horizontal webbing. And we have some spirals that will knock that water off and we can send that back to the rinse tank. We can send it back to the wash tank. And we also have a blower that will blow the water off as well. We have sanitizers. A lot of, a lot of companies like to use sanitizing solutions to, to kill any germs that might still be on the case. So uh, we have other features that are coming out uh, to, to make the washer uh, even better, the washing system even better. Yeah, just a, just a real quick thing. Um, we calculated that it's about 80% less time cleaning this washer than what's in the market today. And basically over the life, Dan talked about it's less um, operating costs. We feel it's about 70% lifetime cost reduction. In early May next year, the IDF International Symposium on Sheep, Goat and Other Non-Cow Milk takes place in Brussels, Belgium. This is the eighth time the event has taken place, but it only happens every few years. So if you're involved in milk that doesn't come from a cow, then this is the event for you. It's a mix of everything, a bit of science, processing, recent advancements and much more. And to tell us about it is the IDF's Science and Standards Program Manager, Maria Sanchez Mina. We do this type of event every four or five years, so it's a great opportunity <laughs> that you have this coming next year. It's going to take place on the 4th and 5th of May 2020 in Brussels, and the location will be at the, it's one of the museums that is in the San Cantonaire Park in Brussels, so it's really next to the Schumann area. We're covering milk from other species which are not cow because we think there's a lot of things that we don't know about them from the production perspective until the health benefits or even the socioeconomic impact that these animals have in the economies. Um, also the processing technologies that can, need to be a bit adapted to the composition of these products if you want to process them. And of course also the milking equipment, etc. So everyone that is working on these areas or want to know a little bit more about this specificity should attend. So it takes place during two days. On the first day, we're going to cover more about the sustainability of these animals, so socioeconomic, which is really important for Europe and also for other parts of the world, and as well a bit of animal health and welfare and, and milk production at the farm, so milk and equipment, etc. And on the second day, we will discuss more about the health benefits. There's now a lot of claims on the health benefits of non-bovine milk, starting from 
obviously sheep and goat fat and protein, but also going to camel. And it looks like there's a lot of opportunities for these products because of their health benefits. For example, the fat composition of these products is very particular, or camel milk has a it, camel milk now. It seems to have a lot of claims about reducing diabetes or associated with improvements on on health. And then, of course, we will also discuss about the processing of these types of milks and how can you adapt the current processing technologies to these milks. It's not so easy to make cheese out of camel milk because of the composition, for example. And I think we will finalize with some some parts on safety and quality that are specifically for these types of milks. So, so far, um, we have so confirmed few keynote speakers, like nine keynote speakers, and we will also be looking for more input from scientists. So, scientists or people working in this area that are interested to, to present posters or small presentations can send us abstracts until the end of the year. So, they have an opportunity to present their findings and communicate with the, with the audience. I think the type of audience is very broad. We would like to have governments. Obviously, in Brussels, this is a very good spot for representations of different regions who are based here, but also academia and as well production, processors, consumers, and and even civil society that are interested in the the role of these animals that play in the sustainability, even on, on the environmental side. You know, even in the south of Europe, they they are, have big role on restoring the landscape. You mentioned scientists there. It's not one of those events where it's so scientific that sort of general public or processors wouldn't understand what's going on? No, we're going to try to balance it. So obviously we will have some science, we will choose some, some topics, but we want that they reach everyone. That's why we, we have a bigger audience. And the keynote speakers that we have uh, chosen are able to deliver a good message for everyone to translate the science. So we will need to balance that because we don't want only scientists attending this event. Also, uh, even farmers or processors of these milks could learn about what are the new the news about this. Because we hear a lot about these types of milks on on, on social media. For example, I, I camel milk is being marketed super well. Um, but is this really true, the health benefits, or what is the advantages and disadvantages of having these types of milk? And what are the opportunities for sheep and goat milk at the moment? It seems that, for example, in, in due to the health benefits, uh, Asia is uh, when you're lactose intolerant or you're not um, because of the protein composition and the fat composition, there's lots of populations in the world who can benefit from these milks and not from cow milk. And it's very global as well. I mean, I see from the speakers, you have people from New Zealand and Israel and uh, Kenya. So it's it's very global. Yeah, exactly. So it's very global. We're going to try to bring all the knowledge of the world here, these two days in Brussels, and that everyone benefits of them. I think that the, the one of the strengths of the dairy sector is that we have also these animals who produce high-quality milk and have even a stronger contribution in socioeconomic in certain parts of the world. This can be great for consumers. Consumers want to diversify, and some of them might choose plant-based products. I would choose milk from other animals who maybe play a stronger role in sustainability, for instance, if I have ethic concerns or, or, or something. I think um, it is a great opportunity for consumers. 
And where, where do people attend from? You get people attending from all around the world as well? Yeah, from all around the world, exactly. Obviously, I think there will be a lot of Europeans because of the distance, but we, we aim to have everyone from everywhere. I know some people from South, South, South Africa will be here, New Zealand as well, so I hope the other countries will also join. Right, and, and I think it's something you, you mentioned about the scientific advancements. I think it's something as well that it's become more and more, I don't say necessarily acceptable, but we hear more and more about different kinds of milks. In the past, it was cow and maybe a bit of buffalo for mozzarella, and you hear about goat and some goat and sheep cheeses, but it's really, there's a lot more knowledge now, and it's a lot more in the public eye. Yeah, I would say the potential of this type of milks is still unlocked. We don't really know much about it. It has been in the last five years that we know a little bit more about the properties of this fat composition and protein composition, and they have very strong health benefits compared to the, the cow milk. So we need to understand what are the strengths of these animals. I think it's a, a great opportunity for those who want to learn more about them. When was the seventh one? How long ago was that one? The seventh one was hosted in Cyprus, and it was uh, 2015, and it was also a success. So we, we thought it is really time to make the point on the scientific updates. And, and as you said, a lot's changed in five years, a lot of scientific advancement, and also, I would imagine, a lot more products as well. Yes, there's a lot of scientific advance that has been made, and as well, I think, a lot of product diversification on these milks because we start to know more things. They start to be more present in the market around all the world. And also some producers are starting to change. I mean, to, to they, they start to have like business for sheep and goat. Um, I was thinking, for example, in the UK, um, you have a lot of young farmers and even young female farmers, and they could start working with sheep and goat. So... I think it's a, a business that is very attractive for young people. Mm. It's also very connected to the rural settings, in Europe at least, and it's very attractive for a new generation of farmers who want to come back to, to the town. You know, in Spain, for example, or in the south of Europe, in south of Europe we have lots of cheese which is made with sheep and goat milk. So all, all, the, all the science now backs up these products, how good they are for you. And, and I know just personally in the last couple of years, I've written stories on um, goat milk, obviously, and sheep, but also you mentioned camel milk, and I've done stories on even horse and donkey milk. So there's there's definitely a market there for some of the more obscure milks, and I think people will try products more now, so they they have an interesting story to tell. Yes, because I think people, they, they want to try, consumers want to try new things and try new products. So these products are perfect now. Instead of going plant-based, why don't you try a more sustainable product, like coming from your local sheep and goat from the UK there? If you want to do something exotic, you can try something with camel milk, for example. There is still a lot of progress that has to be made on connecting these types of milk with their health impact. And nowadays we have social media and we have more online presence and also increased number of health food shops around the world. So I think the availability has improved. Yes, and you would be surprised. There are more and more farms of some of camel milk in, 
in Europe. So also because of climate change, you need to see these animals are very resistant to certain conditions. So it actually is actually perfect for certain areas to produce them there. So with the climate change, maybe we will need to have really resistant and resilient animals to the heat. And I think both sheep, goat, and camel, they have this genetic strength to produce high-quality milk in very extreme conditions. How many people do you expect to attend the event? We expect to have around 250. Of course, we are flexible to have more if they want to join us. Sure, absolutely. And, and as far as registration is concerned, is that open now? Yeah, registration is already open and you can have a, a profit from the early bird until 1st of March 2020. Okay. Also, IDF members, if you are participating in IDF and the International Dairy Federation, you are volunteering in a committee or giving your support to us, you have a reduction. And students have also a reduction. All the information is on our website, Sheep and Goat 2020. Another really interesting story that came my way recently was related to one of my favourite events, one that is now called the Ice Cream and Artisan Food Show, which takes place from February the 11th to the 13th, 2020, in Harrogate in the UK, a beautiful place even in the winter. Although getting there last year was quite the drive through the snow, although having said that, not anything like driving in a blizzard in Canada or Minnesota. This year at the event there will be a new and unique solar-powered ice cream van on display and the great thing about the invention is that the ice cream van no longer has to sit with its engine on while selling ice cream. It uses solar power. To tell us more about the invention and how and why is its inventor David Baker, the owner of Styles Farmhouse Ice Cream in the UK. I, I imagine it's quite busy with that you've got the, the show coming up in... Harrogate in February, that's probably taking up a bit of time, right? Well, well we, also, we also do um, 190 shows where we do ice cream like Glastonbury and things like that. So we actually make, we're on a farm, we make ice cream here, and then we um, go out with the vans and we sell it at shows. But we also supply 200 shops on a next day basis. And then we have fixed sites as well. And you mentioned the vans. How many, if you're doing 190 shows, how many vans do you have? We, we have um, 13 vans at the moment and eight trailers and um, several 1930s bikes. So you developed this solar-powered ice cream van. How many of those do you have? We've got three at the moment. Um, we started thinking about it in 16 because I was concerned about diesel engines running in crowds. And we did a prototype for 18. And um, then we've done a second stage one for 19, two second stage ones for 19. And what advances have you made in between the two versions? Oh, we've, we had extra batteries and we, had, we doubled the solar panels. And we worked out a, a system for pushing them in on the top of the roof. Okay. So how long would they be able to, to run? Just batteries, they'll do more than a day. But with solars and batteries uh, combined, uh, with the later one, you know, with the 19 ones, second, second stage ones, they went for um, they went three days at Glastonbury. 
So, and it's not just the environmental impacts as well. Is there cost savings involved in not having to run your engines all the time? That's that's four thousand a year, which which pays for the van in um, sixteen seventeen years. You see lots of very old ice cream vans around. How long they must last quite a while? Yes, there be there's nothing to see ice cream vans at thirty years old. So the, it pays for itself and to to do the solar. Yes. And of course, as you said, it's also more environmentally friendly and it helps people not breathe in fumes. Well, we're expecting after Christmas for a load of um, electric ones to come on the market. And then I expect that for in cities, they will be being built on electric chassis and it'll be all, they'll be all electric. So you'll have the van will go to the site on electric run on the solar and the batteries all day and then come back this is other companies that are developing these or are these your, no your this will be it this is us we've deliberately built our ice cream section so that it's independent completely of the van so you can actually if you wanted you could put it on a trailer or you could put it you could put it um, on it in any van as long as the chassis distances are correct and all ours is modular, where theirs is built in. So if something goes wrong, um, you can change things very quickly. And is this something that you'll be taking to the ice cream and artisan that, food show? That's exactly what we're taking there, and we'll it's, be showing it. And it's the electric one? No, it won't be the electric one. It, this will have to be, because electric ones aren't out yet. Okay. And we won't know about them till sometime in January maybe even February. But we'll be able to tell people, if they want to, that they can have that. It's not just to showcase the, the technology, you'll be, able to, you'll be able to sell them to companies as well? Yes, because we've been operating the prototype, 18 and 19, we've been operating those, and the ones we got in 19, we operate, we've operated them through the summer. And we've often gone away and from here, gone to a two-day show, the staff have camped, not been on electric, run for the two days and come home, and then still be still be 60% plus on the batteries. So there are places in the country, and I live in one of them, where, to be honest, sunlight isn't the most available thing. Would these still run? If, for instance, you don't get all that much sunlight, you can go for the day for certain, but then you might have to plug in at night, and they reach they recharge in four hours. So it's still useful no matter where you are then? Exactly. Yeah. And of course this time, and if you've got a site in the winter, uh, with our panels, they're flat, and that's for transporting, going to and fro. But if you're, say, in Scotland in the winter, and you're wanting, and, you, and you've got just a site, you would actually put the panels on a slight angle on the roof if you're always going to be parked exactly the same because then you would get much better sun coming onto the panels. In the summer, when we had full, really good sunshine, the vans would come back and the batteries would still be full after a day's work. So this should be quite attractive to potential buyers at the show then? Well, they're all used to 60s technology and this is quite a step for them 
when we actually train staff to go on these vans, all you've got to do is show them how to press the buttons on the softy and how to lift up the lid and scoop an ice cream. Otherwise, the van manages itself. And you could, if you had one in Scotland, I can go on the internet and see if the batteries have been and, and the system's been operated properly. So what kind of comments have you been getting on the vans? Well, they, they look different from a normal ice cream van, but the, the comment we get is how modern it looks. Does anyone mention about how environmentally friendly they are? Customers do, and they're, they're pleased with that side of things. Ice cream people tend to only want to know how fast they are and how fast they can serve. And what sort of capacity would you have for producing these vehicles? Well, we could make a hundred a year. And now it's time for our weekly update on the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton from INTL FC Stone. It was a case of contrasting uh, weeks really for butter and the skim and powder markets uh, this week price-wise. Butter took a bit of a hit this week as some of the recent heat was taken out of the cream market which had a sharp move downwards. Probably had some bearing on the price action in butter. Cream was reported to have traded a high of 5100 last week but it was down closer to the 43-4400 level by the end of the week. Butter followed suit and quarter drop. Quarter one dropped about 70 euros to 36.40 level. Uh, quarter two down to around 37.40 level uh, from 37.90. And quarter three was also off 50 euros to uh, 37.75. Quarter four was down about 25 euros to the 38.25 level. Skimmel powder price action contrasted, as I say, with butter. The butter move was you know, skimmel powder was up about 50 euros to, say, the 26.50 level in quarter one. Quarter two, up maybe about 35 euros to 26.60 level. And quarter three, by 45 euros, maybe to 26.75. Quarter four, by about 35.40 euros to 26.85 level. Well, there was no big reason people referred to the potential disbandment of the O'Neill tender and it being handled privately going forward. This explanation, I guess, felt a little counterintuitive. Thank you, Liam. Talk to you again next week. INTL FC Stone provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And that is it for another week. We do have quite a few interviews lined up for the next couple of weeks, partly because of Food Ingredients Europe, but there are others. Although, of course, if you have something you'd like to tell us about and feature on the show, we'd be happy to hear from you. Next week is Crazy December Days, a few interviews, the week's news, and whatever else we find interesting in the hope that you will too. In spite of the fact I don't have any events to go to for a while now, I did get an email from an airline this week saying, it's less than eight weeks to your flight. We've got some great hotel ideas for you. Mm, Already booked one. And some great car rental deals. I don't need one, but thanks anyway. So I can't even escape the events when I'm enjoying being at home for a while. Which reminds me, I should really get moving on a press pass for that next event. Funny how the airline didn't remind me about that one. And so, until next time, have a great week, and as always, thanks for listening.